Well, last summer, uh, we spent a couple of months focused in on uh, healthy relationships. Uh, if you remember, the recharge book that we had um, had a bunch of emojis on the front, and it said it's complicated, uh, talking about our relationships that we have. And, you know, we talked about what we needed to do in order to build uh, successful relationships and what skills that we need uh, in our lives to be able to build those relationships. We talked about things such as communication and encouragement and conflict and anger and also self-awareness. We talked about how these factors affect our ability uh, to both maintain as well as grow healthy relationships. Well, today we're going to begin a series that focuses in on one of these factors, and that is the issue of anger. Angry people are everywhere, are they not? Gary Chapman wrote this. He said, spouses are angry at each other. Employees are angry at bosses. Teens are angry at parents and vice versa. Citizens are angry at their government. <laughs> it's amazing some of the things you get an amen from. But anyway, <laughs> everywhere we look, people are angry at one another. And the thing is, people have come to expect angry responses from others. Just the other day, I placed an order at uh, Taco Bell for a steak breakfast crunch wrap. If you've never had one, don't knock it till you try it. It's kind of an amazing thing. Um, but the, the crunch part of a steak breakfast crunch wrap is that they deep fry a hash brown and put it inside the wrap. Well, when I got to the restaurant, because I had done the order on my app, uh, when I got to the restaurant, the young lady at the window informed me that I was the very first customer of the day, which is kind of a shock in itself, but first customer of the day that had ordered this and that they had just discovered that their deep fryer was not working. And so she said, is there something we can do to, to make it right? And so we started talking through the through the little intercom system there at the menu and worked out a, a equitable option for me to get my money's worth because they couldn't make most of my meal. And so I got up to the window and as I was sitting there chatting with the restaurant staff, this young lady looked out the window and she said to me, thank you so much for not yelling at me about your order. I mean, it hurt my heart to think that that was what this young lady, who was making minimum wage probably at best, had come to expect. When something went wrong, whether it was her fault or not, and most of the time it's not the person at the window, obviously, but she had come to expect people to yell at her. She expected a tongue lashing from me. The only reason she would expect that was if that was the norm for most people. You know? Again, Jerry, Gary Chapman wrote, he said, Clearly, many of us have issues with anger. 
In addition, Christians are often confused about this powerful and complex emotion. For those who follow Christ, is there ever an appropriate expression of anger? What does the Bible say? Can anger ever be a good thing? Well, anger is something that everyone deals with. No matter who you are, no matter what situation or what, how much you've grown in your spiritual walk or, or whatever, every person deals with anger. No one is exempt. So I want to share a scenario with you hypothetical scenario but a scenario nonetheless imagine if you will there's a 16 year old girl who's just gotten her driver's license and so she asked her dad if she and some of her friends could take the car and go out to the lake on saturday since the family did not have any plans for that weekend the father then responds by giving her a lecture about how she does not appreciate anything that he does and just expects him to give her everything. Well, the father was angry because he had just been raked over the coals by a boss for an error at work that was not his fault, but now he has to work overtime on Saturday, which caused him to have to cancel the family plans. His boss had overreacted about him. Or I'm sorry, his boss was dealing with, uh, he had overreacted because he was dealing with a lot of stress in his family. You see, the boss's dad was still living alone. But even though he was home alone, he could not care for himself. And so, no matter how much the son tried to help him. The dad was never happy. Because of the dad's situation, the son expected his wife to pick up some of the, the slack, both at home as well as at his father's house. The problem was that her father-in-law was not very kind. In fact, he was verbally abusive, constantly telling her how she was worthless, how that she was not good enough for his son. And that had a devastating effect on her emotional well-being. Well, one day while the wife was out in the yard mowing and weed eating because the husband was too busy to, to do it, she exploded on her neighbor for once again trying to convert her. She didn't want to hear about God. She didn't want to hear about her neighbor's church. And she definitely did not want to go there with her. The neighbor, devastated and rejected, called the pastor and told him that he had ruined her relationship with her neighbors. He was the one who had urged her to go and talk to the neighbors about Jesus. And because of him, she was not only going to leave the church, but she might have to move out of the neighborhood as well. The pastor listened to her rage. 
trying to be the good example that he feels like he must be. And so, being the good example and not reacting, he bottled up all of his anger. After being attacked by the church member. But when the pastor's food came out wrong at the restaurant later that evening, he let the server have it. Telling her how incompetent she must be. And the cycle goes on and on and on. Now to be clear, none of these situations is based on real life events. But folks, they are all very real possibilities given our current culture and climate in our society. There's a saying that goes something like this. It says, hurting people hurt people. I tried to find out who that was attributed to, and it's attributed to about a dozen different people. So um, you can attribute it to me if you want. That's fine. Everybody else is claiming it. But hurting people hurt people. Another way sometimes they'll say it is misery loves company, right? Well, the dictionary says that anger is an emotion. But really it's, it's more like a cluster of emotions coupled together with, with physical and mental reactions. You see, when we get angry, we're not making a choice to become angry, are we? It just happens, right? I mean, have you ever sat down and said, hmm, I think I will become angry about this thing now? No. It just happens. It's a physical and a mental reaction. Anger is a response to some event or situation in life that causes us irritation, frustration, pain, or some other displeasure. And it is fed by feelings of disappointment, hurt, rejection, and embarrassment. Any number of things can trigger our bodies to become angry. So I want to ask you this morning, what situations most quickly cause you to become angry? What situations cause you to become angry? It's different for all of us. But if you're honest with yourself, I am certain that there are at least a couple handfuls of situations that cause you to become angry. Well, we're going to spend the next few weeks learning more about anger. What its source is. What its purpose is. We're going to learn about its destructive tendency as well as its potential productivity. Some of our studies are going to be topical in nature. This morning is one of those. While others are going to focus in more on passages of scripture and will stay in those particular passages for the bulk of the study. Today's message is going to be looking at many passages of scripture that teach us about the source and the purpose of anger. In fact, as I was sitting there uh, just before coming up, I thought, how many passages am I actually looking at today? I think I counted 17. Don't be afraid of that, okay? Some will be very quick. 
But because of that, unless you're really, really good at sword drills, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're not good at it, probably. Um, I want to encourage you this morning to consider using our interactive study notes in the Uversion Bible app. If you have a, a smartphone, you can scan that little QR code inside the bulletin, and it will take you there, and you'll have all of those verses laid out for you, and you don't have to flip. If you want to flip in your paper Bible, God bless you, go for it. If you can keep up, I have a prize for you at the end of the service. I don't know what that is because I don't expect anyone to win it. So, uh, but I will find something. So this morning, the first thing that I want us to consider is what is the source of anger? What is the source of anger? You might be surprised when I say the source of anger is the holiness and the love of God. It's the holiness and the love of God. Let's look first at the holiness of God. You see, God is holy. In his essential nature, God is holy. And also, God is love. And so it's this nature of God that is a catalyst for anger. You see, God is entirely and infinitely pure. That's what it means to be holy or righteous. He is separate or set apart from anything that is sinful. And he cannot even look upon or tolerate sin. He is holy. In Moses' song in Exodus 15, 11, Moses said, Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. Who is like you, Lord? You are the Holy One, Moses said. In Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she said, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The psalmist song in Psalm 96 tells us to worship the Lord in the splendor of his Holiness, tremble before him all the earth. The splendor of his holiness. There is nothing else in the world like the holiness of God. And then finally, the angels song in Isaiah chapter 6 where they sang, or maybe they called out to one another. Some argue whether they were singing or not. I'll let you decide that. But they said what? Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Did you notice something in all of these references? In each one of these places where it's talking about the holiness of God, it actually, ref the scripture refers to God as Lord. And if you're reading in your Bible and you're looking at that word Lord, you may notice that it is a capital L and then small capital O-R-D. Sometimes that's not the word that is uh, printed in your Bible. Sometimes it's capital L, small case O-R-D. The reason for this is there are multiple words in the original language that refer to Lord. One refers to the Lord God Almighty, and one refers to the Lord of a manor or a master. 
And so what we have here is this name of God, what is known as what we say as Yahweh or Jehovah. But in the, in the original Hebrew, you may or may not realize it, but that's, that's four letters there. Okay? And those four letters known as the Tetragrammaton or the Nomen Ineffable, uh, which basically means the name that cannot be uttered, this is the name of God. Now, in the Hebrew language, the way that they uh, write the Hebrew is all with consonants. And so in order to be able to read it properly, they developed a vowel pointing system. So next to all of these consonants, there may be a set of dots or lines or different things to, to tell you which vowel you're supposed to say with those. This word, Yahweh or Jehovah, this four-letter word never had any vowel pointing on it. It never had any vowels attached to it. Do you know why? Because they were afraid that they might break the third commandment if they ever said the Lord's name at all. It was the nomen ineffable, the name that could not be uttered. That's how much respect they had for the holiness of God. It is this holiness of God that evokes the, the anger of God when people disobey his commands. He is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot look upon sin. And so because of his holiness, he experiences anger. Now, does that mean that God is anger? No. No, it does not mean that God is anger because God is love. We find that in 1 John 4, 8, which actually I didn't count in my 17 references. So make that 18, I guess. Uh, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. Love is not to be equated with God, but rather in his essential nature, God is loving. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, the Bible reveals God as one who is committed to the well-being of his creatures. He loves us, so he wants what is best for us. Anger is not part of the essential nature of God. However, the Bible often indicates God's God experiences anger because we're doing things that are stupid and he wants us to change. I mean, many of you are parents. Did you get angry with your kids when they do, when they do things, not did, but when they do things that are stupid? Yeah. It's because we love them. We want what's best for them. The same is true of God. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. The Old Testament is teeming with references and verses referring to anger. In fact, there are 375 verses that deal with God's anger. And every single time, his anger is an expression of his holiness and his love.
Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is a righteous judge. What does the word righteous mean? Just or holy. Right? Righteousness, justice, holiness, they're all the same thing. It says God is a holy or righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Indignation. Anger. God is angry every single day is what Psalms tells us in Psalm 711. So why does a loving and righteous God feel angry every day? Well, God's holiness and love serve as a catalyst for his anger. You see, God wants his children to choose to do the right thing. He wants his children to be holy as he is holy. 1 Peter 1.16 challenges us to do that. Be holy as I am holy. But the problem is, is that does not happen as often as we hope that it happens. We are not living lives of holiness as much as what we want to. So I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. So far, all of my... References have been short, so I put them in my notes. I'm going to read from my Bible now. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is an amazing passage. We've actually talked about it very recently. But in this passage, it's talking about repentance and forgiveness. And, and then it gets into the second half of the chapter. And it tells us about the choice that we have as, as followers of Christ. As children of God, we have a choice. We can choose life or we can choose death. Read with me in verse 11. It says, For this commandment that I command you today is not hard for you, neither is it far off. Now skip ahead to verse 14. It says, But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death, and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. We have a choice to make. We can choose life and good, or we can choose death and evil. But when we choose death and evil, that evokes anger from God. Why? Because he is holy and cannot look upon or tolerate sin. And it is because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And he knows death and evil is not what is best for us. Gary Chapman again wrote, Because God is holy and because God is love, God necessarily experiences anger. His love seeks only the good of his creatures. His holiness stands forever against sin. And so when God's children fail to choose life 
and blessings, then God's anger is kindled against them and he disciplines them. If you look at verse 19 in Deuteronomy 30, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. How do we know what is good and what is evil? How do we know what God calls life and what God refers to as death? Well, to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible tells us that people have been created in the image of God. Therefore, our sense of right and wrong and our sense of something being an injustice is built into who we are. Because we are created in the image of God, we understand good from evil. And you say, but what about Genesis 3 and the fall? Well, we did fall. We fell into sin and we choose more often than not to do evil. But that did not remove our essential nature as being created in the image of God. And because we are created in his image, boys and girls everywhere from a very un- young age understand what it means for something to be not fair. Do they not? That's not fair. I always heard life's not fair. Uh, That was the response I got when I said that. But, you know, um, that may have been the response I gave, too, because my daughter just laughed. Um, Folks, even small children understand what injustice looks like. They understand right and wrong at its base level. So anger then is the emotion that arises whenever we encounter what we perceive to be wrong. We have this response, this reaction. When something is an injustice, when something is just innately wrong, we get angry. So what's our big takeaway from this discussion about the the source of anger? What is the most important thing that we need to understand about anger based upon these truths that we find in Scripture? I think it's this, and this may be difficult for some, so listen closely. I think this is our point. Are you listening? Anger is not evil. Anger is not sinful. Anger is not a part of our fallen nature. It is not the work of Satan in our lives. But rather, anger is evidence that we are made in God's image. Did you hear that? Anger is evidence 
that we are made in God's image. It demonstrates that we still have some concern for, for justice and righteousness. In spite of our fallen nature, we want what's right to be what happens. So why did God make us this way? Especially if we fail him so often by losing control of our anger, why did God allow us to experience it? What should we do with our anger? Well, there are two things that can happen with our anger. The first we're going to consider is that our anger can be productive. The second option is that our anger can be destructive. But let's look first at productive anger. This is passion that brings constructive action. You see, anger also known as righteous indignation. Have you ever noticed that? When, when, we, when we feel comfortable about being angry because we knew, know it's a, a good motivation for being angry or it's a, a, a just cause that we're fighting in against and, you know, an injustice, we'll say, I'm righteously indignant. It's like we're trying to justify ourselves somehow. We want to be righteously indignant. It's anger. All anger should be righteous indignation, okay? Unfortunately, that's not the case, though. So anger plays a vital role in our walk with God. You see, when we see injustice in the world, God wants us to do something about it. Did you hear that? When we see injustice in the world, God wants us to do something in a discussion about fasting, the prophet Isaiah points out that the Israelites' fasting was not accomplishing what God had intended it to accomplish. And so if you look at Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7, there's a, just a small section of that discussion about fasting that talks about things that should cause us to become righteously indignant. Listen to what the prophet says in verse 6. He said, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You see, what the prophet Isaiah is saying is there should be an effect on you because of this fast that you're doing. It should change the way you see the world. It should change the way you view injustices that take place in the world. It should cause you to be passionate to do something about it. So what are these injustices that it's talking about? Well, this idea of loosing the bonds of wickedness is talking about freeing people who have been falsely imprisoned. Thousands of people in our society today have been imprisoned falsely. There's, that, sh that should be an injustice that causes us to be angry that something like that could happen. Undo the straps of the yoke refers to uh, employees being 
exploited in their jobs, treated badly, or made to do more than what they're being paid for. We should be righteously indignant when someone is exploited in their work. It goes on and says, let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. In other words, he says, there are people who are falsely imprisoned. There are people who are being exploited at work. But there are, being, there are people that are being exploited all over the world in all different kinds of situations. So we want to remove every type of human oppression that exists. That's what he's saying here. And the list it goes on and on. Just recently, we've been reminded uh, through many different things, such as a movie that's come out recently, as well as an opportunity for us, some of us, to be involved in a human trafficking case. Um, there's human trafficking going on all around us. Folks, it's estimated that there are more slaves in the world today than ever in human history. That should make us angry. It should make us want to let the oppressed go free. It should make us want to break every yoke. These are injustices. But then the prophet shares some other injustices. He said to feed the hungry, provide for the homeless. He said, to provide clothes for those who need it. And then I love what he says here at the end. He says, not to hide yourself. Did you see that? It says, oh, that's the wrong chapter. It helps if I'm in, I'm in Isaiah. I was trying to read from Deuteronomy. He said in verse 7, he says, not hide yourself from your own flesh. What's that mean? It means don't hide from people that you know need your help. How many of us are guilty of that? When we think about these different issues, people, we should become angry. Angry enough to do something about it. And we can't fix all the problems in the world. I'm not, I'm not saying that we can, but it is wrong to be apathetic towards these issues. What are the injustices in our world today? What are the things that God wants us to help in? What, are the, what does he want us to do to help right these wrongs? Well, the first step in righting these wrongs or, or addressing these injustices, the first step is to get angry. To become righteously indignant. But before we get out of control, let's look at some examples of what it means to have productive anger in the Bible. The first one I want us to consider is God's anger with Nineveh. Jonah warned the people of Nineveh of their impending destruction by God, the God of Israel. And you know what? The people of Nineveh knew God's reputation. And they took this warning seriously. In fact, Jonah 3 verse 5 said, The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
God's anger at Nineveh and the proclamation that he was going to destroy the city brought about the desired outcome, which was repentance of those people. That is productive anger. They would have never repented had God not told them he was going to destroy them because of their disobedience. Now, in your community groups, you may be talking about Jonah, but from a different perspective and talk about Jonah's anger. Uh, But I'll leave that to your community group leaders to lead you in. So God's anger with Nineveh, that's one example of productive anger. Another example of productive anger is found in John 2 and Matthew 21. And this is Jesus' anger with the temple merchants and the money changers. You see, at least two times in his ministry, Jesus became angry with the way that people were behaving within the walls of the temple. He went in and he turned tables over. He yelled at them and said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. In his passion, Jesus' passion was ignited by the anger he felt when he saw what was happening in the temple. And that passion, or what the Apostle John refers to, or the, uh, G- John's Gospel refers to as zeal, that passion is what motivated him to do something about it. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the Bible says, To be angry and sin not. Quite possibly one of the most difficult verses in Scripture to fulfill as fallen human beings. And it's only possible to fulfill when we are allowing the Holy Spirit to control us. But it says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, folks, it is possible to be angry and not sin. The problem is, is that most of us have not learned how to do that yet. So in order to be angry and not sin, there are a couple things that we must do. And I think this is the first and foremost. We must be sure that we are being motivated by the same motivations that cause God to become angry. What causes God to become angry? His love and his holiness. He wants to do for his children what is best for them, but he cannot tolerate or look at sin. So what is motivating our anger? The divine model is clear. God's response to anger is always to take loving action, to seek to stop the evil and to redeem the evildoer. What is our motivation when we get angry? Well, you know what? More often than not, we get angry because a person has done something to us personally. Right? That person is too close to my rear bumper. I'm angry. What does that have to do with the love and holiness of God? 
It's still a trigger for me. I don't know if it is for you, but it's a trigger for me. It's something that's done to me. And it usually has nothing to do with the righteousness of God. What is our motivation for being angry? If we were to evaluate the purpose for our anger, how often are we responding? How often is our anger causing us to respond with loving actions that seek to redeem the evildoer? Is that how we are responding in anger to others? Most likely no. Now we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, but for now, I want to take a, a quick look at our normal response when angered. And that is our anger is destructive. It's a passion that's out of control. Listen to what the writers of Proverbs had to say about anger. In Proverbs 14, 29, he says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. And then later in the same chapter, Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Folks, even in the Proverbs, the Bible does not teach that anger is wrong. Anger is not wrong. Anger is not sinful. But it teaches that we should not be quick-tempered or hot-headed that if we become angry we must be slow to anger we must respond with a soft voice anger that erupts quickly is anger that is out of control I'm going to say that again because I want you to be sure and get it anger that erupts quickly is anger that is out of control. There are many valid reasons to become angry. But if we allow our passionate response to go beyond the control of the Holy Spirit, then our anger will become destructive rather than productive. This is why the Lord's half-brother wrote in his letter in James 1 verse 19 he said know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger do you remember what the last part of that verse says for a long time that was I only knew the first half but this last part is is solid gold y'all he says for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is not saying that anger is wrong, but he is saying that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Folks, we must not forget that Paul told the churches in Galatia that one aspect of the Holy Spirit's manifestation in our lives 
also known as the fruit of the Spirit, right? One aspect of the Holy Spirit's manifestation in our lives is to live in such a way to be described as a person who is self-controlled. Anger that is out of control is anger that is destructive. Now earlier I pointed out that any number of things can trigger our bodies to become angry. And it really is a physical physiological response. There are uh, hormones at play and different things happen. And a lot of times uh, psychologists will try to say that it's, it's just a physiological response, but there's more to it. There's the physiological, there's the mental, there's the spiritual uh, aspects to anger. But I ask you the question, what situation most quickly causes you to be angry? And if we take time to identify those areas that cause us to become anger, quick, angry quickly, if we will identify those areas, then we are more likely to have a measured response when we find ourselves in the middle of something that is triggering. If I know that traffic is going to trigger my anger, then if I need to be somewhere at 5.30, I need to prepare myself before I leave. I need to give myself extra time because if I'm in a hurry, I can assure you I will be triggered by the traffic in Northwest Arkansas. When we identify things that are our triggers, then we're more likely to have a measured response and so that is part of your homework for this week. Part one of your homework this week is to identify things that trigger you. I hope you can fit it on the front of one sheet of paper. Um, if, you need a, if you need a journal for this, then do what you need to do. But I want you to identify your triggers. Part two of your homework this week I want to encourage you to take some time to reflect on your anger and your responses to anger. And in order to do that, here's, here are some questions I want you to ask yourself and reflect on. Uh, and if you want to write these down, it's great. The, these questions are also in the interactive notes in the YouVersion Bible app. But think of a time recently when you became angry and I want you to write down the answers to this question. Number one, what triggered your anger? In that situation, what was the trigger that caused you to become angry? Then number two, how did you express your anger? And in that process, you might begin the evaluation process. Was it productive or was it destructive? And then finally... What do you wish you had done differently in response? Because folks, the fact is, is that anger is, an, is natural. There's nothing you can do to avoid becoming angry. Anger is not sinful. Anger is not wrong. But we must figure out 
how to be angry and not sin. So when we identify the trigger, we look at how we reacted and then think about what we should have done differently. The last thing I want you to do is to seek to develop this habit in your mind to help anticipate and respond to anger more appropriately. That's the goal. We want to respond in a way that goes against the norm. I mean, isn't that what Romans 12, 2 tells us? This is number 19 for the sermon because I don't have it in the, my notes. But Romans 12, 2, what does it say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. Folks, when we respond differently, when we don't yell at the little girl in the window who can't get the deep fryer to work, it makes an impression. And that not that what we're called to do? Matthew 5.14 tells us that we are the light of the world. Let's be lights to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in, the, in your word today. Lord, I thank you for so much scripture that teaches us about this issue of anger. And Father, I just pray now that as we evaluate our lives, our situations, the things that we uh, face each day, Lord, help us to respond in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Lord, help us to be angry and yet not sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.